I loved all of these yo. Yo. Oh, are you trying to steal my yo? You trying yeah, to get I can't, in on that, I yo? could never steal your thunder. Trying to get on that, yo. One. Yo, welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. And we're back on track this week with Rev 60. That's right. Yeah. Rev 60. Jason, what is it? What? Why didn't We're you talking tell me my, about... hair's, my hair's sticking up like a fucking Cupid doll? Yeah, it looks like fucking something about Mary. What's going on right <laughs> This week we're talking about Rev 60, the Better Than 1000 LP, Just One, released in 1997. Big one for me and Greg. For sure. For sure. Um, listen, before... Rev 60, it's kind of funny. I, I thought it would have been later in the, like, numerical part, but I guess it's not. Like 60 seems, I guess, because now there's like almost 200 releases. It seems so, so old, but maybe it's just, but then I'm like, oh, it's 25 years old. So yeah. Yeah. Did they they slow down for a second with releases? Is that kind of what happened? Uh, I I feel like 94 was pretty, pretty booming. Right. I I just remember that when this came out, it was a big deal that Revit put it out. Kind of a wow! They're putting out hardcore Where else again. Would it they're come putting out, out straight else, hardcore again. Who else would this have come out on at the time? Equal Vision. Yeah, I think Equal yeah. Vision. Just because Equal, they had Ten Yard Fight, they had Floor Punch. Yeah, um, Equal Vision tapped like got tapped into the um, what people would refer to as the revival, the yeah, crew revival, third wave, which again is hilarious because it was reviving a sound years later, like five years before. <laughs> yeah, or something but. Um, Equal Vision was on that tip pretty early. Like, Hands Tied like is another Oh, yeah. One. Hands Tied was on Equal um, Vision. That's right. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, speaking, was, of, speaking of Equal Vision, uh, I've been trying to get my band signed to Equal Vision recently, and it, it just kind of seems like we don't fit in with their current roster, but how cool would it be if they had a Krishna Core revival, right? Return back to your roots. If Sachi, if you're hearing this, I'm telling you, man... We got we we uh, we got a place on your roster. That's the uh, that's the awkward uh, silence that I'm gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> okay. Before we get too deep into this conversation, I think it's maybe maybe already time to. Uh, I do want to today, as of today of this recording, uh, our mutual friend Diego, who also plays guitar in my band Godhead plays guitar in a band called bent blue and their new record comes out today on war records you know over here at the podcast we're huge supporters of war records so for sure uh we're not actually not getting paid to say this at all but we just want you to go to war-rec.com there's also a new record is it fully out by fixation i think so i think people i saw pictures of people getting it so i believe uh, so fixation and act who are also my friends and bent blue pick up some stuff and you know just support what war is yeah doing. for sure and war uh, the like i always say the stuff always looks great yeah oh well, yeah high um, quality high oh, yes. quality super high quality and enact yeah. a great uh newer band uh-huh. uh, as well bent blue of course uh fixation from philly here so for sure Cool. What's our uh, our main um, so shout our main, out this week? Um, I want to give a bit of bow to this episode sponsor, Siren Records, um, who are also 
one of our top tier patrons. You'll hear Javier mention, um, you know, at the end of every episode, uh, you know, especially for like the era that we're talking about now with Rev and, and before, I think maybe some people that, you know, are younger than us don't realize the importance of the independent record store. And that's not me sounding like, uh, you know, like I get it. Why, you know, cause now you have everything at your fingertips and you can order stuff online and things like that. But I mean, the record stores are super important still, I believe, uh, to, you know, this whole subculture of hardcore and punk and siren for me was, like ground zero that was the first independent real independent record store like i had a little place in my town that sold you know cds and stuff but like a place where you had employees that were mind like knew about punk and hardcore and you know all different kinds of music um i guarantee i bought the better than a thousand just one cd you know at siren um they have been you know, going for over 30 years. Uh, Blair's a dear friend of mine, the owner, um, super cool guy and easy to talk to. Uh, my old high school buddy, Heidi also works there. So I want to give them both uh, a little extra bit of bow. Um, and yeah, it's a great store. They have a Discogs, so you can, uh, you know, get stuff on Discogs. You can, you know, usually like if you see stuff, you can, maybe call and I think they can do mail order. I don't, don't quote me on that, but um, I know through the Discogs they can. And I believe on the Discogs, they have free shipping for anything over $10. So uh, within the U S of course, but yeah, it's a great store. I try to, you know, I live a little farther than I used to, but I, I, I try to get there at least, you know, once a month, they also have a Patreon with some really cool perks that gets you, you know, discounts on, records and stuff so hit up sirenrecords.com and you can have a link to the discogs you know their website shows all their new releases you can pre-order stuff um you can join the patreon and everything so you know much respect to them i've been going there for i think this year was 27 years of shopping there so for me, I just want to bid up um, Tom Bigerwitz. He's the one that did the layout for the Better Than a Thousand LP, just one. When we talked about it with Graham, we just kind of quickly glossed over it. And uh, I don't think that Graham really worked too much with Tom directly on the layout. It was more Ken Olden. So I reached out to Tom through Instagram. You can see his work at Man Alive Creative. And there's a link in his profile. And you can also pick up a zine that he did about Fugazi's uh last tour they played a show in alabama and he did a zine about that show and profits from that zine go to the randolph county animal shelter which is in alabama and there's more at his website about it and you can see that but uh i reached out to him and he was nice enough to leave us some voice memos about the layouts that he did for battery better than a thousand and then some thoughts on the um, damnation record kingdom of lost souls so you get to hear that. Up. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I can say I got to hear the better than a thousand memo. And uh, I think people will really enjoy it. Um, I, and I also want to thank Tom for giving the info because, you know, we, we always do try to talk about the layouts because, you know, 
I realized too from Jason, you know, how much work and stuff and thought goes into these. And, you know, maybe as a consumer, if you're not a designer, you don't think about it per se, but the look of a record does matter. Um, and, you know, the, the designers deserve a lot more credit than I think they get. And um, it was super cool for Tom to do that. And I look forward to hearing the other, uh, you know, memos about the future records. And didn't he do the Misfits box? Yeah, right? that's what I was going to sell. He worked on, uh, yeah. uh, he worked on so much cool stuff. If you go down the wormhole of what he's done, I Hate God, uh, 12 Hits from Hell, he did some repackaging for the Beastie Boys, Aglioiolio. And I mean, that's just some of what he's done. You could go yeah, down Fall the Out Boy, that box set. That's right. Really stunning looking um, box set. So, but yeah. it's just cool that there's this common thread of designers. That's right. The Dead Guy stuff is amazing. Yeah. But it's cool that there's a thread of designers that have constantly worked with people, especially this one, because it's him working with Ken Olden, but then also working with three bands at the same time. Yeah. And so. also it's cool. Like um, he, like Dave bet. So at uh, Carol, was Dave bet at Caroline or was he at? No, I think he was somewhere else. Never mind. Maybe no. he was. No. Prof- he was profiled. Yes. Right? Okay. Mm, I hope no. I got this right. You know what he also did? The side by side reissue. Well, he did that with Jeff Caudle, I believe. Uh, he also did um, uh, Turmoil, Turmoil, the process of great looking uh, iconic record for that's um, my my breed of hardcore. We're talking Tom here, not Dave Bat. Tomb. Yeah, yeah, Tomb. Thank you. Yeah. Tomb. Dude, what? Oh, that's Blind good. Melon. Sick. Which record? Blind Melon. No way. B-Girl. Yeah, yeah B-Girl. Uh, I think the reissue in 2013, it looks like. That's great. Awesome. Uh, okay, so listen, uh, we're gonna get into the these interviews and and audio messages. Um, if you want to listen to me talk about why I don't like this record for about thirty minutes, you're gonna have to become a Patreon uh, supporter, and then on the Patreon you get the outro chatter which is going to be the three of us talking about our feelings about this. And it's really, it's just going to be the two of them shaking their heads at me <laughs> for like 20 or 30 minutes. But if you want to, if you want to hear that, which I don't know if you want to torture yourself by listening to that, yo, you got to go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com, become a patron. If you already are a patron, go to patreon.com and listen to that shit. And hop on the Discord. You get a yeah, link to the Discord. Hop in the Discord, and you can also make fun of me there for um, my listening proclivities. Um, and then, yeah. Otherwise, let's get into these uh, these this interview and the uh, the audio bits from Tomb Tom B. Bit of both. Oh wait, it's time to kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it. Kick it. I came in after Better Than a Thousand's Just One was recorded, but the album layout needed to be done. Jerry, or, or uh, the Jerry XX, was Rev's in-house designer at the time, and he was nothing if not entertaining. Uh, he wasn't into hardcore music. He designed a lot of DJ and acid house mixtapes, flyers for dance events, and things like that. 
If you look at his Discogs page, you'll get the idea. Anyways, much to Jerry's dismay, I would occasionally design or art direct over his shoulder. For the record, my job at Rev had nothing to do with design, but I got involved due to my passion for it, my studies in it, and the experience I had up uh, up until that point in my life, specifically cutting my teeth on music design at Caroline Records prior to my time at Rev. So when it came to the album's layout, we had a couple of live images and a series of studio shoots to work with. Obviously, Ray was the focal point of the band, and he needed to be on the cover. Before it was ever heard, the word had spread that Ray was doing an old-school album reminiscent of Youth of Today. The album's layout was created to support that sentiment. The look was built with easy-to-replicate shapes and forms that already lent themselves to stickers, shirts, and whatnot. We chose clean, bold, in-your-face typography that looked as good with an outline as it did without, and we leaned heavily on the band's live images that delivered on the promise of a highly energetic live show, all with a nod to the youth crew culture. All right, what's up, everybody? We are here. Jason. Yo. I'm going to turn it over to you. What, what are we here to talk about today? And with uh, whom? Today, we're talking about the Better Than a Thousand LP, Just One. And we're talking with Graham Land, who played guitar. And I guess I want to start out by just asking about the concept of the band, Better Than a Thousand. When did that start? And what did you picture when you started the band initially yeah. in your mind? Um. I had been playing in uh, Baby Gopal in New York, living in New York for about a year, and uh, and also playing with Shelter, but not planning on staying in Shelter. Just sort of like trying to do a pop band, trying to get a record deal, and uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like trying to get signed. I didn't like the the schmoozing, the meeting people all the time, the not knowing who's your friend or who's your you know business contact or whatever. So I kind of left that abruptly. Uh, went back to DC. Got a job selling uh, bonsai trees in a shopping mall, and just started working. And I had this idea that I I, I want to do music hardcore music, but not with uh, record labels, any of that stuff and play kind of, I had never played in a band that was the kind of music that I initially got into hardcore. I had played in, you know, Shelter, Worlds Collide, everything's a bit like to the side of uh, just playing uh, hardcore DC, New York style. And, um, I just had it in my head and, uh, Ken, I grew up two blocks away from Ken. So when I moved back into my parents' house, he was right there. Um, he's still there actually. 
and um, he said he I was I said I had a few songs and he said he wanted to do it but he wanted to play drums so we just started uh with these songs I kind of I kind of wanted to like mix uh DC fast hardcore with some sort of indie uh cordy even like shoegazy stuff but that didn't really happen um it didn't really work when I tried to yeah. do it I will say so, that I heard you, I know you'd said that before. I didn't mean to, and like, maybe because I'm looking for it now. Yeah. I can I hear can it a little still bit. still hear it. Yeah. There's some not, open chords, yeah. but it's pretty stripped down and, you know, it's not that much layers. It's, it's really basic. And we even recorded these songs without a vocalist. What we songs We didn't it? know. Do you remember? Um, it's it's definitely like I should probably get, look at a track listing somehow, okay. but it's it's the first two for sure. Okay. Um, so live today and it never rains, and I think motivation more, like, was one of the first ones. Also, motivation but... is from when we knew we were gonna make a record. Okay. So there is a demo, and there's some sloppiness that shouldn't be on a real release in, in some of those songs. Um, but we were like, this is the demo, this is the time we have. Um, and then when uh, we finally made it, Revelation just wanted to put those recordings out. Uh, so I, I mean, the timing is, but we went to Atlanta twice to track at uh, Issa Jow's studio and yeah, the first the first ones were a bit sloppier. The sounds is a bit different. I don't know if you can tell, but motivation was definitely one of the later ones. Okay. And did you yeah. shop this around, not to labels, but did you send it out to people oh. to potentially sing on that you can remember? Yeah. Ken Penn. That's what I was gonna ask about. Um Chris Duncan. Chris Duncan oh, came cool. to, a, to a rehearsal. So he didn't, I don't think he had the, uh, we hadn't recorded anything. He just listened to us. Okay. He, did, he didn't, he wasn't into it. A lot of backup vocals, <laughs> by the way, on this. I, I see like. The all-star like, list of yeah, Dave it's, Bird. And it's like. Right. Frodis. Yeah. Frodis, Jason Amaker. Um, that was fun. True. True. Was that was somewhere there. else. That must've been, that was a local studio. And I don't know. Yeah, Which one that was? I'm trying to see here. Um, it doesn't mention another studio. It just says the. I wonder if that nights, was the beginnings of like Monster Island and Ken Olden doing his feeling, thing. I, I have a feeling Ken didn't have any studio for a while. Okay. And you know that's why we went all the way to Isa's to to track everything. But the backups were somewhere else, and I can picture the room, but it wasn't. It had to be in the DC area because all those people were there. Right. I was going to, I was going to, I wanted Should to we steal phone a this. friend, Jason. No, but I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to steal this question that I heard from 185 miles south was they asked, could you describe, they asked, could you describe the practice room? But I want to know, could you describe the studio space at ESAs? It was kind of weird because the studio space, but the studio, the actual studio space looked kind of normal, but then like where he lived was weird. It was almost like, 
I can't quite picture it, but I have this weird memory that you had to like go through like a like a hole or something to get where his where his room was. I can't weird. picture. I think it was it was not a house. That's for sure. It was some you know industrial building that he had converted with a living space. Okay. Cool. And how it's did? A bit vague. Uh, sorry, you go, Jason. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to ask. I mean, so you. you had a couple people check it out and then how did Ray end up with the recordings and end up singing for better than a thousand? Um, I didn't imagine that he would want to do that. So I never, um, I know it says something on the, the notes of that zine that came with um, Oise's release that Ken says that I talked to him, but in my memory, I never brought it up because I didn't think he would want to do a hardcore band when shelter was going like that so but i think um during that time he was having uh he had like a lot of contact with ken so i, I think that he expressed interest with ken and that was kind of it did you have any reservations about it was there a little piece of you that thought i, I i'm sure it was exciting because it's raised yeah. when you have someone that's this force that's going to sing for the band but was there any piece of you that was like i don't know if i want that i don't i don't think so i mean yeah. I, I didn't want to like i didn't want to i guess there was not anyone that we all agreed with about who would be the singer at that time so there was really you know we need don't have a singer at all and you don't have any i think there was ideas of like someone who had been a nick knight maybe it was it would have been Joe. Okay. But I didn't know him. That was more through Ken. Um, so, yeah. And was it something where when it was decided that he was going to sing for the band, did he just come to the studio and record the vocals or did you practice at all? Um, well, he had, the, he had the tape and he had a bunch of stuff written completely. Um, Live Today just one and a lot of stuff that he didn't have anything and i had a notebook of ideas and some like you know four lines here chorus here and we went and uh we drove to a parking lot and just wrote them out so you helped with the words right because it actually says words by better than a thousand there's a there's a reason for that though and that's because of roadrunner uh, so yeah, I remember that was a, a whole thing. But a lot of like a lot of the songs are just him and the rest of the song. I didn't I didn't write like a complete lyrics to anything. I'd, I had um, I had like I can remember my notebook. I had motivation question mark. What's your motivation? And that was it. So I'm sure there's other things I can point. Out. I think is it education because I was. Um, thinking about that also alternative nation and nightclub i had okay. sort of like ideas for that but not by no means complete lyrics or anything do you have a favorite uh a favorite song lyric wise on the lp um i don't know i get that's something you leave to the end you're hot yeah jace right? so yeah jace like <laughs> But if but I this just is not take lyrics, I don't know. 
I mean, I just want to talk about, I mean, the lyrics to this record are great. Even now in 2022, like a lot of those lyrics, like nightclub, alternative nation, it's just cool. I just like the, the commentary. Yeah. Like we won't, we won't mince words. Like for Jason and I, this was a huge record. Yeah. I mean, this was like, I feel like people that weren't, um, weren't around then and i don't mean that in like a negative way but i'm just saying yeah. can't really understand so like now right you can see youth of today like yeah, a couple times a year but like this was a huge deal because it was like you know shelter did mantra because contrary to popular belief this came out before beyond planet earth by like a couple months or weeks mm. or something but we you know people knew that shelter was not really playing straightforward hardcore, not that they ever really did for a full record, like we talked yeah. about, um, you know, before in a, in a different episode. Not at that point. <laughs> but yeah, like, so this was, uh, I mean, this was like, yo, Ray is singing for fast melodic hardcore again. Yeah. He's cursing. Uh, I know, you know, that was such a big deal. It was a huge deal. And, you know, to finally get to see it live, um, I didn't get to see the, you guys played, I think the record release was in Fairless Hills, PA, where the they record release for just one or just one or not the record release, but the, they did, maybe you had a weekend of, of shows. And then that's where this picture was taken for value driven. This was from, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this was from a show. I don't, at, I don't and, remember that the name of that town at all. Yeah, it's, I like a, that. it's a suburb. Um, of suburban hoods was that who's yes yes okay. yeah and um and yard fight yeah i didn't i was there for that one i yeah. didn't go because i i honestly it's so funny to say i think i didn't have like the six dollars to go i mean i was i missed lots of shows for that exact reason yeah when I, was I was just like uh, i don't have six dollars to to go to the show mm. and you know as an adult now too i'm thinking about it and I know some of the criticisms, I think, were like, oh, Ray's trying to cash in on hardcore. Right. And it's like playing a $6 show in the suburbs. Yeah. Really? Like, I mean, how many people were at the show, even if it was 500 people? Like, you know, it's just funny the way as an yeah. adult, you can kind of look back and be like, dude was losing money, if anything, yeah. probably. You know what I mean? Like, he obviously wanted to do it because it was enjoyable and um you know creatively he got to do something a little different yeah. so i always found that funny i'm like the shows were six dollars right yeah but speaking of shows i know jason had uh well i didn't want to jump ahead too much because we didn't talk i wanted to talk more about the recording of the songs mm. but how long after the songs were recorded did you play that first show in dc at the chamber of sound I don't know what when was do you know it was that in the summer April. you know it's funny you know why I know this April 26 1997 because yep. that there was limited shirts at the show and Greg you're gonna appreciate this this is like that first hit that got me into shirt collecting because it's like it was a limited a thing shirt, right? yeah it yeah. was a limited it was a limited yeah. shirt for the show and <laughs> I remember pulling up to the show and people are already wearing the shirt outside of the show. Yeah. And it was like, 
they made these limited shirts. There's only 25 or 21 or something where we were in a frenzy to get those shirts. Um, and you know what's is, crazy? This is Ken Olden. Ken Olden's just like a genius with stuff like that. <laughs> is he the one that was behind that? What's crazy I, I is the value-driven... It must be. The value-driven record release that was in Philly was almost a year later to the day because I had the shirt and that was April 25th. So it was that. And Saturday. it was dated so, on the sleeve. So, yeah, because the, you know, the days move back a day usually. So the the DC show is on that Saturday in April. And then when that Saturday came around the next year, they there was value driven. I, I had to, I had to throw that out there. Okay. I too remembered because I had the shirt. Unlike you, I don't hold on to stuff. Oh, like I that. still have so, Graham. I still have that yeah. shirt. So okay, I don't, nice. I don't have the shirt, but um, I don't think I do. Okay, that was. So was the CD like... out at that show then? No, no, no. So this was. I mean, Graham can could tell us, but um, this was just not. the the kind of the the premiere of Better Than a Thousand. People had the tape, and a yes. lot of people were there doing backups. So it was like the. Uh, so I guess most of the songs. There was there's a there's a video of that somewhere. So I, this is insider. Yeah, <laughs> I got the tape from True. Of course, Steve, yeah. Steve Kim is also uh, known for leaking the tape. And yeah. Steve is on <laughs> Steve is on the back of. So if you're looking at the LP, the back photo uh, by the Steve's, drums. Yeah, Steve's kind of front and center right yeah. there. Um. And yeah, I mean, I just want to know about your memories. I mean, I have so many vivid memories of that show because it was just so exciting. Yeah, it was As, exciting for me. Yeah, I want yeah. to hear about if you can tell us some memories from. I don't you know, have any particular memories of that show. Really? <laughs> Besides being on stage <laughs> and the sort of excitement. And um, I mean, I don't know. For me, it was like this is the first band that it was my idea. and. Like I, I thought of, I didn't think of the name, but I, I named it. Um, it was actually a guy called Glenn who used to do. Um, he's still a poet. He's like a hardcore guy. He's Krishna guy. Um, Glenn Burns. He had a zine, a poetry zine called Better Than a Thousand, and I liked that the way that sounded so much. But um, as far as the show goes, I don't know what. What do you remember? I mean, I remember that there were no ins and outs until after Better Than a Thousand played. That was for some reason on the door or maybe on the flyer. I remember that you opened with Sunshine. Yeah. Which is the instrumental. Yeah. And Ray is, so I'm in the crowd. I don't know where Ray is. And how no old are you, Jason, at this point? 20. Okay. No one's seen Ray, you know, and... He's on the side. in the fucking studio. <laughs> He's on the side of the stage with the brown hoodie on. They play Sunshine. So everyone's kind of waiting for the show to start. Ray is in the you know, on the side of the stage, runs out with the hoodie on, throws it back and says, it's not about the past. It's not about the future. We got to live to die. Yeah. And okay. I literally felt like I was playing the show. Like I know yeah. how it feels to play a show. Yeah. And I was so excited that everything was just like a blur from start to finish. Everything's very tight that 
if you and if you look at the, the video it's like that too so you're like from the start there's a lot of people on stage yeah yeah and there's a lot the, of like the, the back of the lp you're looking and you're just like this is mayhem which i realize dumb question was the cd out because there's live photos on it right, <laughs> so, right. But, also back photos from wetlands or coney okay. island high yeah. one of the two it is the one with steve yeah. kim and actually um, yeah you can see uh, i think that's tracy mcmahon there with the camera that's with tim burn McMahon. and i think that was this little thing no maybe that wasn't it but is that tim there it is yeah okay I thought well, who's who's the guy with the big arm? The guy with the I big wondered arm. About that. We called him Arm and Hammer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, hold on a second. Let me look at it so I can see. But I can tell you this: I don't know who that is. I can see no. the arm. So if Where you look on the front, Jason? here's one more fun fact I can tell you about. It. I can see the arm. It's kind of like almost grabbing Tracy's. It looks like it's almost grabbing Tracy's arm. Um, I can tell you this about the front cover there. They announced at the show, hey, we're going to take photos for the LP coming out in Revelation. And this is kind of pre-internet. And everyone was, you know, we were excited for the show. And everyone had got the pre-release of the tape, which we loved. So everyone was flipping out when the when Better Than a Thousand was playing, trying, mm -hmm. but also trying to get on the cover because that okay. would be awesome. Because that's <laughs> awesome. It's Revelation. We love Rev. Yeah. So I had no idea. Our friend, if the cover ends up, it's Ray singing. And over here is our friend, Jimmy, James Berry from Richmond, who did not have an advanced copy of the tape. Okay. So he's just... And we said, how did you end up on the cover of this? And he just said, every time I saw the camera come out, I just opened up my mouth. That's incredible. Wow. And we also have uh, Dave Bird from Striking Distance right underneath him. Yeah. Where is he? He's Yeah, he's kind of in the shadows, oh, but you like can hair. see the top yeah. of his I can see his eyebrows. eyes and tell. So one of the things I am pretty certain people, friends of mine that went to that Fairless Hill show I spoke of, mm -hmm. that was where the CD came out. Okay. Because I remember now people said that um, people went into the show, bought the CD from the merch table as soon as you guys had it, went out to their cars and listened to it to try and like learn the song so they yeah. could go in and, and go off. That, that's such a, that must be like a unique to hardcore yes <laughs> and it's just so, but so i gotta I participate was, i gotta yeah. learn my parts <laughs> i thought that was so rad um yeah. but yeah i mean this was it was just huge it was it was like to me this really kicked off um you know just this and the we're not in this alone reissue i know i talked about mm. before was what really cemented me into like this is my kind of hardcore yeah. revelation fast, you know, straight also there were like those, it was a thing that was happening and I was happy about it, that it wasn't, um, it was that kind of hardcore coming back with fast beats and yeah. not metal. Yes. So like floor punch, I think was already going, um, in my eyes and, uh, 10 yard fight, I think we're already going. I'm not too sure, but they must have been because I mean, yeah, they were. I, yeah, I was yeah, like, same ha thing. happy about that. I came into hardcore through like discord and stuff. So yeah. I didn't, you know, the metallic stuff. I like some of it, but that wasn't really my, yeah. Me my too. bag. So like this was just and, you know, it's funny. I never thought about it. And then Weezy, uh in his 
the end hits podcast, which again, I would recommend everybody go back, listen to, uh, he interviews Ray, Ken and, and you, um, for episodes to talk about, you know, better than a thousand could go into a lot of detail, but he mentioned the guitar tone being like dag nasty. And now I'm like, Oh yeah, I never thought about that, but it is, it's very, it's not the typical kind of guitar. Yeah. I I listened to that too. And it's not quite true what he said, like, there's not, there's no chorus on it. Brian Baker puts chorus on Dagnasty. I like the way Brian Baker plays. And that's what I was very influential. And um, um, Jason Farrell, that sort of like, when you do like a really fast, um, I don't know what you call it, triplets or something. Yes. Oh, he's great too. Um, But the actual tone, I, I don't really know if I was it was just what my guitar did. I had like a, a Korean Epiphone Les Paul and it, how it sounded out of a, a Mesa Boogie, those little Mesa Boogies. And not like really overdriven, but not necessarily heavily distorted at all. And I like that sort of like, instead of that sort of, I like this sound too, but if you take like, uh, you know, that sort of surrounding distortion, instead you have a more of a barking, cutting, I, I kind of wanted that. Minor Threat has a bit of that. Um, some Bad Brains has that. Um, but it's, there's no effects on it. As far as oh, I know, there's nothing. That's what I, to me, it literally just sounded like a guitar plugged into yeah. an amp. Yeah, for sure. It's It's got like a, is the right word dry? But not in a negative. It's a very like... Yeah dry Some people hate it but I, I thought it was I, I like that part I like that sort of like barking then, sound you know do you you play bass as well what's your what was your instrument of choice though would it be guitar um it, like for example now I can barely play guitar I if I was gonna have to play I would have uh I would have to like practice a long time a lot if I was gonna play a, a show with guitar Really? Was the last time you played the battery stuff? Yeah, and I, I never I never really feel like I have time to just and I don't I don't really like just picking up a guitar and you know noodling by myself. Um I never was one for learning um you know songs. I guess I I I taught myself to play guitar by doing that, like playing along with you know GBH and um and those Dag Nasty records. But um, I, I, but I could play bass and it'd be pretty good in, in like a day or two. But guitar, I think I was a bassist from the beginning. Then I took up guitar and, but I'm, I was always more competent in bass. Like I played in Worlds Collide and those, those songs were really hard. I don't think I ever played them properly. <laughs> Worlds Collide is sick. <laughs> I mean that Ken is very good, especially at that like those rhythms and like exact kind of stuff like that. He's he plays in a it's not like a normal person. It's not there's no blues at all. It, it's like it's almost like a a computer or something. I think he's one of the more underrated like musicians to come from hardcore. Like yeah. I mean I think about how like you said he played drums on this. Yeah. 
Um, you know, he's played, I've seen him play bass for youth of today. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously guitar with battery and damnation. Um, and then, you know, later he did play guitar and better than a thousand. I think back yeah. by the time I saw better than a thousand, I believe he played guitar, um, you know, produces records. Yeah. And I can't do any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. I was always jealous of, uh, people that could play everything. It was kind yeah. of a lot of those people, I think even like, um, Ben said who's in battery and 10 yard fight he's good at everything mm. but I, I mean i had a drum set in my house for you know years that other from you know high school bands and also with uh, uh i don't know if it was better than a thousand but and i just i would try and try and i could tell the drummer exactly what to play that i could never play it myself i can't even do that when you were talking about playing guitar did when the reissues came out, was there any talk of better than a thousand playing shows or is there still any? Yeah, there was, talk? there was, um, before COVID. Yeah. So nothing, I haven't heard anything about anything since. And I guess it would, it would maybe that would have been like a good opportunity since those reissues came out. Um, well, I think we were going to play, I don't know if there was anything in the U S plan, but I think we were going to play this, um, was in Eindhoven, the Sound oh, of Revolution. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then maybe some stuff in Spain and Portugal. Because Better Than a Thousand was kind of, there was uh, something about Portugal, particularly. And they were really into that fast, um, melodic hardcore, too. That was it, like, if their scene was like mostly those kind of bands. And Better Than a Thousand toured Japan also. Was that on the Just One LP or was that, that after Value Driven came out? That was like a, a disaster. That didn't happen. Oh, was it? Yeah, we got we went there and um, apparently like a work permit is was, is, was very expensive and bands didn't get them. And they went into Tokyo and everything's fast in Tokyo. So they, they just go through. We went into, I think it was like um, Nagoya which is a smaller city with like a lot of like military bases. We arrived in the middle of the night and we were the only plane coming in. Oh. And so they checked, we didn't know we didn't have work permits, but, um, or what the rules were, it was all the promoter. And the promoter was a um, Australian guy who had become a lawyer, um, a Jap like in the Japanese system. And he put the record out there too. Mm. But there's Is that a this rule. one then DEA? Was that yeah. Him? Yeah. Oh wow. I think his name was Dwight or something like that. But um he didn't get us work permits. And there was this thing like you can come in and play shows for promotional purposes, but you can't earn a profit. And if you look at their tickets, and if you look at their tickets, this is like in the 90s, concert tickets were $100, $50 for smaller bands. And I don't know what ours were, but they did because they had a magazine and it happened to have the concerts um, advertised in a music magazine that they had in the immigration office. Oh, wow. Or the customs office. So they said... You can come in and you can do promotion and things, but here this doesn't make sense. This you have ticket price 
uh, I don't know, maybe $30 or something like that, which sounds crazy back then, but it was probably cheap by Japanese standards, at least for a foreign band. So um, yeah, we, we didn't go. Oh no, I didn't know that. I saw it was, we got sent back to Korea. Man. Funny because I saw a shirt out there with the tour dates on there, and I yeah, thought the I tour happened without okay. us. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that was that's unfortunate. We spent a night in a Japanese hotel, but they took our passports, and we we're like, please don't put an X in our passports because that can really mess up your international travel. Uh huh. And they said, okay, we won't because you know it's not your fault. And then they all had X's in them. It looked really bad. We went back to Korea because we had these tickets from two weeks, return flights two weeks in the future. And everyone in, it was this, this was the time of the Asian financial crisis. I don't know if anyone can remember that, but there was this big crash. All the Asian markets crashed. And then they looked at our passports in Korea and said, you can't come in. They're like, well, we want to, you know, we want to spend some time here. We're, we're tourists. We'll, they're like you have no money and for some reason we had all this all these travelers checks and credit card of course not that's not weird having a credit card but cash and travelers checks i think we had been paid by dwight for the the japanese release and we're like yes we do and then they just they changed completely and they opened the doors <laughs> and let everyone in immediately rolled out the carpet yeah and at the time it was that you could stay in like the central Seoul, you know, there was this hotel president. It overlooked the um, the Imperial Palace or something. It was something that burned down a few years later. It was something thirty dollars a night with breakfast. Wow! You know, it was. And Jeff and I went to Thailand. We bought tickets to Thailand for a hundred dollars round trip. Insane. Why not? You know, here yeah. we are. You got a time to kill. And Thailand's not near. It's like a seven-hour flight or something. That's a hundred dollars, you know. And Thailand was the same. Everything was cheap because their currency had collapsed. Because you guys played a like a lot. I mean, for it seemed like from an outside perspective, and again, also as somebody who was only 16, 17, yeah. but it seemed like it started off as like that's a project thing. We'll we'll play here and there because of yeah. shelter. And then all of a sudden it was like, like I saw better than a thousand twice in one year. Mm-hmm. And you know, you played there was that I guess right before, didn't you play that or was that youth of today that played that fest with uh like Metallica and stuff? Or did better than a thousand play that yeah. as well? Yeah. This is all this is the kind of thing that would happen because there would be like a hardcore kid who works in the music industry. So there was a guy called, uh, I think his name was Vicente in Madrid. He put out um, uh, like a picture disc, uh, or maybe it it wasn't a picture disc, but it was a seven inch uh, self-worth. And he also ran uh, this place, this thing called Festimad, like Festival Madrid. And it had um, just two stages that were, it was like the same stage, front and back and instead of doing the changeover you would just change stages so we had that's the japanese one but it's the same one that came out in sweden and uh germany 
with Cortex and um, Spain, Portugal territories. And that festival, yeah, it had Metallica, it had the Black Crows and the Skunk and Nancy, the other one I remember. On. And Youth of Today did Youth of Today did play that show too, because uh, Sam and uh, Purcell flew in, and Tim from Bold was playing bass. Oh wow, Greg, you know the record you just pulled out? The, it's got Ray on the cover doing the kick with the, the jersey. Bold jersey on. Yeah. That was, I believe, at the Capitol Ballroom at the Revolution, okay. the Rev Tour. So okay. the Rev Tour was probably not too long after Just One came out, right? That was, that was the- not summer '98. Yeah. Um, because that was you guys in my eyes better than a thousand and speak or you guys in my eyes battery. Yeah. Which I guess you were in both. So I know that was very, that was really exhausting for me to do. I was actually going to say that had to be nuts playing two sets a night and driving because there was, we had a van and we could put three drivers on it and it was me, Ken and Ray and Ray would like start falling asleep as soon as he would start driving so then someone else would have to take it over so basically ken and i driving wow. and that's when i had my wallet stolen on that tour so that it was a great oh. tour but <laughs> exhausting yeah i think the the security at the whiskey were kind of like biker guys and i left my wallet once in my bag because they, they had guards on the door so it must have been them so, so I had nothing. I had to, I had nothing left. I had to like fly back without a passport or ID or anything. Jeez, yeah. I couldn't have, wouldn't even. I don't even know what you'd do if that happened now, right? You couldn't do it now, but at yeah. the time it was like I had a police report. The similar, well, you need ID to fly on this ticket, and I'm like, well, I don't have any. And then, then they just let you anyway. <laughs> you couldn't uh, do that now for sure. No, no, absolutely not. But. um yeah, so just one came out in this. I guess it would be the summer of '97. So it's kind of nuts to think. Probably July. I believe that show was in July, hmm. which means that as we're recording this, that was 25 years ago. This month, which is mind blowing to me, um, for so, so many reasons. So with, if you like, Jason asked if how long was the recording before that, and I remember it being really hot in Atlanta. Not the first tracks, but by the time the vocals were put on, it was hot. So that was summer. That was definitely like July or something like that. So maybe it was a whole year. Is that possible? With the vocals, you can tell Ray's voice kind of gives out a little bit. At the end. To me, it kind of sounds, it's less noticeable. It's hoarse for sure. It's less noticeable on the remastered versions. Okay. But why was, did you talk about going in and re-recording those at all for the remaster? Or I, was there any? I would I was have wondering, liked to, yeah. but some people kind of liked it. Um, mainly in like apology. It's like, you know, it's really, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not something I would want to keep, but you know, those, those times, like even when it's your friend's studio and it's, it was like the timing and the money was so like it just didn't work out that we could uh you know spend more time and money on this kind of things yeah that's what i was gonna ask because it's mainly with shelter being on tour and you know shelter was a you know they were professional band really oh yeah this was the height this was mantra 
um, was uh, the re. So I wanted to talk just a little bit, I guess, too, about the the re man the the redone just we're and we're talking just one now okay um which end hits our our buddy oisey put out in 2020 um both albums um did you do any other i know ken added guitar stuff yeah i don't i don't know why I, i have a like i was told that on um on the value driven that the the guitars had degraded or something and you know mike and mike schleibaum and ken they're the studio guys i don't understand how that happens all right sure yeah (laughs) so he but on it's not nearly as different on um just one just one just sounds a bit beefed up with some extra noises here and there i think ken just wanted to have fun and do that you know it's not like erasing the other, the other stuff's still there. Like if you go on Spotify, for example, which is where I listen to most stuff now, you can hear both versions. Weird thing is with Value Driven, if you go to listen to Value Driven, whether it's on the um, compilation, the discography thing, or the one, the original one, which says Revelation Records on it for some reason, you can't uh, you can't hear the old versions, and the old version had that that sample that was taken out right from the um, Gandhi. Yeah, is that not I on am, the new one? I am asking you to fight. Yeah, is that not that, on there? I don't think it's on the the remastered one. Yeah, I mean now we're talking about value driven. Yeah, I, I want to. <laughs> we'll say that it, for patrons because I yeah I, I don't I don't some, know why it. Um, I think really. I could be I could be Mandela affecting it, but yeah. I, I feel like um, it wasn't on there. I think the the redone one is a cool compendium piece, like sure. sort of like like how like um like I have you know the Beach Boys have pet sounds in stereo, yeah, and it's cool to hear. But the mono one, I mean, that's the definitive. Version. I I never want anyone to change something especially something old yeah it's weird it's almost like you know when i also i even felt like that when cds came out it was like the beatles on cd or you know it was kind of like because because they made it sound like it sounded really different but i don't think it yeah but you know this kind of stuff what i mean it's like i really like kate bush is my favorite singer when she did her greatest hits Wuthering Heights, which is like her, her was her divine, <laughs> defining song. She redid the vocals in like the late 80s instead it was done in 78. I don't want to ever listen to that. Yeah, I, I always no say thanks, like, you know? it's, yeah. it's a cool bonus content. Mm. But yeah, I mean, even with be- even with better than a thousand, it's like. I play, you know, yeah. I play the, the original just because that was the one I obsessively listened to. I, I, I understand when musicians want to do that, but I don't think um, fans want changes to what they listened to in the first place. Yeah. There, there yeah. was a, what was it with, um, I think Suicidal Tendencies had, had to do that with Frontier. And yes. so did TSOL. That's what I was going to bring up, yeah. I don't want to, I'll listen to that, but I don't want to. I'd rather no. go to YouTube and find someone who put the record of, of uh, Dance, Dance With Me. Yeah. That's, I liked that a lot when I was, you know, 13 or something. I don't mm-hmm. want to, and they did it very close. 
but still not the same. Yeah, I agree. Still like an older, yeah. it's just like not, it's not authentic. I guess that's the feeling. Yeah. But I think, yeah. well, like you said, I think Ken probably just was like, oh, it'd be cool. And and like I said, it yeah, doesn't yeah. sound bad. It's, no, it's it enjoyable. Sounds, I mean, it's probably better. It's the just one, the, the, the value-driven one is, is a little more confusing to me. Um, but I think they did tighten up some things in that recording too. Um, I just don't know who's who it's, it may not be heard that much anyway. I think a lot of people get, um, for example, the vinyl, cause it comes with all this stuff. If you're going to buy that, you're probably more of a collector. And if you want to listen to it, it's available. <laughs> like this, where a band that has two LPs, I have like five. Right. <laughs> like yeah, yes. and, and if you want to hear the song, what are you doing? Yeah, mostly usually Spotify. Yeah, so <laughs> it protects what you have, right? Yeah, and um, but uh, yeah, I mean this this was just I have such fond memories of that like ninety seven to say ninety nine, especially yeah. era, and better than a thousand uh, was a huge part of that, just like whole that revival era that people called it, which yeah. is now also hilarious to me because it was reviving a sound that was like eight years old, <laughs> like, yeah. which, you know, but I've said it a million times to so people are like, Oh, but you know, when you're 16, yeah. eight years ago, I mean, 1988 may as well have been 1940. Yeah. I mean, some, <laughs> of, some of those sounds are like from, you know, 1980 or something. So it's kind of like, whatever you started with that's like i mean i wasn't listening to hardcore in 1980 but i was in 1985 and all those so that there was a certain amount of records you could listen to and that sort of imprinted on me and then later like i think gorilla biscuits probably influenced the the songwriting on just one um as well as like minor threat bad brains and I don't know, there's like a PJ Harvey ripoff bass line. Oh, nice. Too. Yeah. Well, that's it. Um, do, 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 do. That's, a, that's a PJ Harvey song. Oh, uh, that's nice. cool. I'm going to have to go back Down and listen to that. Down by the water. See, I oh, I like that yeah. song a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all funny. Right. You'll never hear it the same again now. Yeah. It's true. I won't. But, um, um, oh, Jason, go ahead. Oh, I think I guess my last question was, was, was it frustrating? I don't think that anyone that I knew compared better than a thousand to youth of today, but did you get that comparison a lot? Was there people that were saying like, ah, this, I like this, but I like youth of today better. I like shelter better. Was it? Yeah. We were not trying to make a groundbreaking band. I wasn't trying to be generic. I didn't, I don't like um, the generic kind of hardcore, um, even if it sounds maybe somewhere near that i but i also wasn't i didn't think this was going to be like this is this is my um it was more like i like to be in bands with my friends and play fun music and the, you know the recordings are not that important if that was a if that recording was really important to me i would not have settled with releasing that because it is a demo and we could have played it much, much better. You know, we could have like, Ken could have played guitar from the beginning. Um, 
we kind of like gotten some you know awesome slick drummer but we this is what we wanted to do you know he wanted to play drums he and after a while he when things were you know picking up a bit we got um alex uh, garcia rivera to play drums you know ken is solid but he's better in guitar right better yeah. with two guitars but ultimately even then it wasn't like we were trying to be like some professional band that rehearsed a lot yeah it was a fun couple of years though for sure yeah so. i mean i that's the thing i mean i know like it doesn't sound quite like youth today but i mean that's the obvious comparison um i think hardcore the most important thing is when you're there and you experience something so if you weren't you know the people that were there with you today or um, if you were at a certain age when Better Than a Thousand came, that's why I think it like with, with when I brought up Portugal, we went there and released music there when their scene was at its height. So for them, that's like a big thing. Better Than a Thousand seems to be like um, more meaningful than in maybe some other places, maybe than in America, for example. But also, like you said, I think it's um, time, place, and circumstance. Yeah. And with for better than they a thousand. Yeah, yeah. So like, it felt like, like Jason said, where he said he felt like he was in the band. I didn't feel like I was in the band, but I felt like, like I was a part of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas. Whereas I feel like, like that with DC too. I liked, I really liked that it was DC area people and Ray. Yes. Yeah. Instead of, I, I never was like, I mean, Shelter was kind of like pseudo New York, DC, Philadelphia. It wasn't a New York hardcore band. But um, I felt like Better Than Thousand was kind of a DC band. For yes. sure. Yeah. And, I mean, well, I. I was yeah. gonna say I love Youth of Today. I love Youth of Today. I love the songs, but I I mean better than a thousand. It's just so much more important of a band to me. Because of the time there, and right? place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's unforgettable. That that whole time was straight magic to me as a fan. And like we said, this was before the era of every band getting back together. And I don't even mean yeah. hardcore, I just mean like in general. In general. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, you guys would do take a stand. Yeah, who else is going to do it? And that was like, <laughs> holy shit, you know, like, yeah. Ray, like I'm seeing Ray Capo sing the Youth of Today song. Like, yeah. it doesn't get better than this, you know? Yeah. And, um, but the original, but if the original songs didn't hold up, that wouldn't have mattered. Mm. And what I like is that, like, I listened to this today, actually. And I was like, it really, it's, it's one of those records. It immediately takes me back to 1997, which honestly, the way my life is 1997 wasn't really a bad place to be like it was yeah. it's nice to go back there um, yeah it was i, I was you know for me too no responsibilities for me yeah. 16 and my whole life ahead of me <laughs> so jason do you think it's time to kick the hot track we're gonna kick hot tracks yeah and I, then i want to oh go ahead you want to talk value driven a little i want to talk value driven but for the patrons just a little bit okay but before we kick hot tracks and this is gonna okay. pop up because it's 
so we touched briefly on the layout stuff but what do you remember what do you remember about the layout and i know that just by doing my discogs research tom bagrowitz did the layout for that he just Greg, this is the same person that did that dead guy seven inch that just came yes, out. Yes, yeah. The it says the the Jerix and uh, Tom Bagerowitz did the layout. Is that just one? You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have and Justine Demetric took okay. the um. Okay. I know Justine. Yeah. The photos, um, which I always thought was weird. There's like the photos here, and then on the insert, it's just like small versions of the photos that were on the back. <laughs> maybe it's not the i don't know if the original is like that this is the i don't the, know either uh i think i think you're probably right 15 but then there's the cool like the head shots and then the just one text at the bottom is that from that scene you were talking about what are the, head, the, what are the head shots I, I remember that that, uh, that that's not justine is it that is copyright of justin Mulder. Um, tim athenazaro for the photographs so for for the photographs i know i think i remember who that is for the portraits it's got what better than a thousand men is one man with intelligence underneath ray better than a thousand trees <laughs> is one tree that gives fruit underneath jeff graham yours says better than a thousand books is one book of wisdom hey. and then ken's is better than a thousand years is one year fully lived i don't yeah, know was that if from those that are poetry? original I don't know if those, no, I don't, I think that might be from the thing called the Dhammapod, which is like a Buddhist thing, okay. sutra, I guess. I don't know if that's paraphrase or if that was taken from there, but I know that's where the, the, the thousand, there's a chapter in it called Thousands, and it has a bunch of stuff uh, starting with better than a thousand. Because that was definitely, as a kid, it was like things that make you go, hmm, it was like <laughs> intriguing. Yeah. I agree. I agree. But, um. Uh, you know, one thing I want to touch on, too, before Hot Tracks, we, we talked briefly about the lyrics. And I just want to say the lyrics of uh, I always had said, and then I didn't really know you got it was a little more of a collaborative thing. But I always said, I always I feel these are some of Ray's both LPs are some of his best lyrics, because I thought it was the perfect blend of like the pissed off youth mm. of today, like pissed but positive. But it had that spiritual yeah slant that shelter had but not heavy-handed not that not shelter, religious but sort of um yeah just it, and it was a like philosophy about it there's a little bit like it's it's a little bit like um at least for the second record he was getting into that self-help stuff yeah and you can and Tony like Robbins i love that, lyrics but, but i don't that. i don't think just one he was into that but could could be um, but they thought they were very relatable, I think, to even people mm -hmm. that, um, you know, weren't spiritual yeah. or whatever. At, at that time, I mean, there was it was a it was a like a conscious effort not to make it a religious span because there was already shelter and you had like Ken and um, Jeff. They didn't want to, you know, represent themselves in that way. Right. Yeah. So and, and then final question before hot tracks. When is the last time that you checked the better 1000 at AOL.com email? I see that there's um, an email. I never checked it. So I've never. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be a Ken email, I suppose. Ken, if you're listening, when's the last time you checked it? Hit us up. Um, all right. Hot tracks time. Hot tracks!
Jason, I want you to go first because I know you've been chomping at the bit to do this episode because like we yeah, talked about this, this was a, a big one. one yeah i mean for me it's got to be motivation just because i remember hanging out and true had the tape with him and he put it in and said yeah this is ray's new band with uh you know with some people from dc and he put it on and when i heard motivation i can't even put into words how much it blew my mind to hear fast hardcore yeah. And Ray, I mean, it sounds like Ray, but it sounds like this perfect mix between Seven Seconds and Youth of Today with yeah. that song. And then when he says, what the fuck? It's just like my mind exploded. I could not believe yeah. it when it, just hearing him say fuck what was the coolest thing to me at that time. So that's my hot track because I'm always yeah. going to remember that like moment of here's this band you know, with Ray singing for it, but it's also like local to you. I don't know. There's some, mm. I mean, that, that was just an awesome moment to see that formation of the band. Is, are we allowed to have the same hot tracks? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was mine too. That was always my favorite one. I mean, it didn't, it, it came later before that. I liked like while writing them, I liked uh, live today. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first three songs are are probably the ones I like the most, but I like motivation sounds better. It's tighter. It's a tiny little package. There's no mosh part. It's hard to write like a good song and like, okay, I'm not going to do a mosh part in this song. And just, it's almost like you, you keep the tension going. Yeah. And yeah, of course, the Effin and Jeffin always helps. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, and it ends with stop. Oh, stop. Yeah. It like, ends yes. so, like, oh, I don't know. I love it. it. It's neat. Yeah. But there's so many good lyrics on this record. There's just like the, has the pit just become the dance of the dead? <laughs> Move to vibrations with no brains in their One head. One that I like, loved was, is it education lyrically? That's not right. my hot track. Just because, you know, it does. It makes you think. Yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, especially with America, like I I didn't go to uh, college except a little bit of junior uh, junior college until I came to Sweden and then it was all free. But this sort of like, but even now I'm I'm still paying off. uh, You get student loans, but the student loans are so you can live basically. But I mean that, you know, my parents like scrimped and saved for, and I didn't take it, but it was just, it just seemed like that's a lot of pressure, you know? It is. And that's why yeah. I said as a 17 year old kid or 16 year old kid, I was like, you know, that's, that's pretty deep. You know, even then, like I, I, I identified with the song, but my, my hot track, um, I, I mean, I got to go with live today. Yeah. I, I always loved the breakdown, the way Ray's voice gets into the almost like, like he's like choked up. Oh, um, that part of, rules. I know, I, love, I know, I know, I know. I love know. that. Yeah. But I also think you guys wrote really cool, like mid-tempo songs. Like I, today I was like, I don't know, man, we spoke our minds. I like a lot because mm-hmm. I like how it's just like, it's just this driving, like yeah. it doesn't speed up, but it's just got this like really sing-along equality. Um, so, but I'm going to go I, with li- live today. Some Sometimes I think that it's not that good but i listened to it the whole record yesterday and i i quite i still like it actually 
And that's yeah. a, that's a nice feeling. Cause sometimes <laughs> you think like, nah, you know, I never really reached my potential or whatever. It's a know? great, it's a great time capsule. So yeah. um, I'm going to think of those times. And that, that was a good time. I'm going to ask another question, which is going to go into a fade out because okay. what's going to happen is only the patrons are going to get to hear All this right. part. So I was going to say, you're talking about what you like. Settle a debate for Jason and I okay. that we've oh. had. What's up, y'all? Hav here. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focus, JPD2, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Native Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Tyler of the Life and Death Brigade, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. Listen, I already fucking told you, if you want to hear the rest of this episode, you gotta go to patreon.com. Actually, no. You go to fucking whereitwentpodcast.com, you sign up for the Patreon, you go to patreon and then you listen to this episode there's like 30 minutes or more of bonus contents and some some special having my says so do it now otherwise we'll see you next episode bidipo